and everyone. As you are, if you would, please turn open to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 as you're doing that. I'm going to let you know uh, just some, some future elements for us as a church to, uh, to be excited about, to be in prayer for as well. This past week, uh, we as an advisory team met and really just asking the Lord what the Lord has been faithful to our steps of obedience in the past year to 18 months as we have moved to two Sunday morning gatherings. We've just asked the Lord, what do you have for us? And what we've been doing over that time is is working on our community together, our fellowship, making sure that we uh, feel a family uh, with one another. And that's partly why we're doing the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which I'm hearing stories and it's been going very well. I'm really excited about that. It's, uh, it's fun to be able to connect with people that you don't normally cross paths with. Just to, to hear their story and connect with, Nick, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Nick Donovan's been like, not out of the country, but almost in Alexandria, in Pineville. So that's close. Good to see you, pal. Yeah. <laughs> um, for like the past six, seven weeks? <laughs> it's tiring. Ready to get back to your wife and son. I don't understand. Uh, but as we, as we are looking to say, all right, Lord, what do you have for us in terms of, of what's our next step? Really for us as a church, what we're feeling in faith for is to do a step for outreach, toward outreach. We haven't done that in a while and planned a church-wide uh, outreach component for us as a church. And as we conversed together, as we prayed, it really was uh, God sowing in our hearts that we would host another Alpha course this fall. And that's a, it's an exciting Thing for us, uh, doubly exciting because the guys for Awaken, uh, Joe Bernard and Denny, who have been uh, coordinating, and Seth Stiles from North Shore Bible, they've been coordinating Awaken this week, and it's gained some traction. There's some momentum with Awaken. It's pretty cool uh, how this is coming together. But they're also going to use, uh, toward the end of the week uh, and the evenings, uh, the evenings that we're together, they're going to be letting everybody know that the Alpha course that we'll be hosting can be used as a follow-up to what has been happening all week there. So pretty cool how we're able to team together in that way. But more importantly for us as a church, the Lord has brought, to, brought this to us. And I want us, uh, for this week for Awaken, but also as we look toward the Alpha course, if you have not uh, been here long enough, we have hosted two, uh, well, actually three. The first one was in my house before we even were meeting uh, consistently on the weekends. But we have hosted three Alpha courses. It's a uh, they, it's a session-based, a weekly session-based series on exploring the Christian faith. And it's centered around, there's three things that are, are there. You, we have dinner together, and everything's free of charge. We have dinner, a talk, a presentation, and then a discussion at the tables. We clear all of these chairs out, and we put tables out. It really is a, it's really cool. We have a great venue for this because it really feels like cafe-ish. Uh, it's, it's nice. But those uh, will we'll need people to step up and serve again in every category. What we've done in the past is we have uh, not done small groups in order to free up everybody to, to be devoted to the Alpha course. Uh, this time, we, we want to keep the component of our small groups together, but also look toward, we're asking all right, faith to step up and give another night for, for the Alpha course. Uh, so this is, all, this is everybody. We need kitchen help. We need servers. We need uh, table discussion leaders. We need a lot of people helping with this. And we're going to, as we envision this, uh, as we go forward, I'm getting there. When we go forward with this, uh, my family's wonderful. It reminded me of things. Uh, as we go forward, and they're in the, in the front row. Uh, 
as we go forward with it, we'll envision you for the categories to serve in. But I want to also envision us for invitations. Invitations are a very biblical thing. Remember when Jesus says, uh, tells a story of going out to the highways and byways and inviting everybody to come to the feast? He's inviting people to come, come experience me in heaven. The, the righteous, the, th- the ones who thought they were righteous, they didn't want to take the invitation, but the ones who were needy and, and in, uh, understood their own helplessness, they came. And they went to the high. Invitations are a very, very biblical thing. So this week, there's somebody that the Lord would lay on your heart to offer an invitation to, to attend one of the awakened nights with you. Please extend that invitation. But also trust that the Lord has put people in your path, whether it's in your neighborhood, workplace, uh, wherever that you just run into, that you can extend an invitation. And you know what? We're afraid that people are going to reject us with that invitation. But more often than not, they're appreciative of the invitation. Whether they take you up on it or not, they're appreciative that you thought enough about them to extend the invitation. So as we're looking toward that, we want to be believing. All right, Lord, who have you put in my, in my path? Who, maybe somebody's coming to mind right now. That would be a great opportunity to invite so-and-so or this person. Please extend, uh, begin to extend the invitations. Uh, coupled with that, we have... We have been working hard at, at rebranding um, here some things with church. We have, and you see a little bit uh, of our updated logo. We're going away from the antique-ish uh, look. So you're just a, a little sleeker, slender, modern, postmodern. I don't know however you describe that. Uh, but we wanted to look a little more updated. But that means out with the brown and with the blue. We've added... Uh, some uh, added navy, a, a dark blue color for us, and that's going to be across the board. Uh, in by July 21st, on that Sunday is when everything will be switched around. We'll have new signage on the building to correspond with that. Uh, this week, because the Alpha Course will be announced at Awaken, we're going to be launching our new website. We've been working hard at populating a new website uh, to make it just more user friendly for us. And as you we're going to let you know. I'll send an email out uh, for everybody to, to be able to, to just go look and peruse. And yes, you'll find typos and mistakes. Please let me know. Those are unintentional. We just we want to fix those. But we just want to be uh, around that site. And as we do that, something that we have discovered, that there's a Google helps you uh, figure out their algorithms so you can be more prominent in searches. And they, they offer that to anybody who asks. It takes about three weeks to get those analytics back. But we've run some analytics for us. And they were, this is pretty funny. There's one competitor church for us in like a 50-mile radius. You know who it is? Lakeview Christian Center. <laughs> the very church that sent us over here, who we love and we still get along greatly with. <laughs> that's our biggest competitor online. It's like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, but what helps that, what helps those algorithms, look, we want to have a score, just, just for the sake of simplicity, we want to have a score. A, a high score is 40. Lakeview Christian Center has 20. They're doing really good as a church. We're seven. We can get up to that 15, 17. We might even be five. Pretty easily. And that's with your help. By going on and going to Google and writing a review. 
So if, you, if you're on, you find that, if you look up Christ Community Church, search it for Google. Don't go directly to the website. And on the bottom right corner of the screen, you'll see the little box that Google shows who that is. And you can hit a re- We have like four reviews right now. And we can populate that with more reviews because that helps us when people say churches. If they're just in town and they just search churches, ours will come up as one of the, the main page ones based on our reviews. There's some other things that will help out. Uh, as we'll, we'll go forward, there's like keywords that we need to put in there. That stuff we're working on, as well. All right, one more uh, that I forgot to ask Milton to announce. There, is, there will be prayer associated with Awaken that's beginning tonight. Every morning at the Trailhead, I think at 8:30, there's going to be prayer taking place for the night and the week long. Uh, and also there, there, and I'm going to send this out today to uh, via email. There's, they're asking for 24-hour prayer, and they're asking all the churches that are participating to take a time slot. Uh, so individuals in the churches, members of the churches, take a time slot. So if you look on there, you can follow that link and maybe time, sign up for a time slot uh, just to really bathe and saturate everything that's happening in prayer. All right, to the Word. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. We have looked at this verse before, but it was with the comfort message. This one will be with the peace part. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Father, we ask that you would uh, grant us the, the grace of the Spirit's activity in our hearts and our minds to connect your word to us. We want your word to impact our hearts and change us for your glory so we can experience your presence even greater. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Later this month, we will be celebrating, and I'm sure on all the TV stations we'll do something toward this, the 50th anniversary of man landing on the moon. You remember the, the place that they chose to land was named the Sea of Tranquility. Thanks, Uncle Stu. <laughs> He's listening. He could do two things at once, walk and listen. When Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed, they had agreed on what to name the base. And they only told one person in Houston so that person wouldn't be taken by surprise. So when they landed, what they say? Tranquility base here, the eagle has landed. A huge, huge moment in human history. Now, the Sea of Tranquility was so named in 1651 because it was flat, not rocky like the rest of the moon's surface, and most importantly, nobody's there. When you have zero people around, it's pretty peaceful, isn't it? It was a sea of tranquility. It was a dark, a darker place. It didn't have the as many craters and mountains. And that's exactly why NASA chose to land there, because they were looking for a flat piece of, of Earth, of moon to land on. Now, we, in our lives, we're looking for our tranquility base. 
We're looking for that moment that everything is calm. There's nobody making demands on us. There's no difficulty surrounding us, and we're stress-free. And how often do we find our base? We don't. We think we find it, and then something disrupts it. But we look for that place of perfect peace in our lives, and we're on a quest to flatten life out so we can achieve a calm that will last just for a minute. Can I just have a minute of peace and quiet? Today, uh, as we consider living in peace with one another, we'll consider the peace that we're called to live with within our relationships of the one another's. Remember, Jesus is revealed in our love for one another. They will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And our investigation into the one another's of the New Testament has shown that we, we're to live toward one another out of our relationship with God. The experience we have with God is to show up in our relationship with one another, and that's how Jesus is manifested. As he loved us, we love one another, and we make Jesus visible. And when Jesus is visible, remember his promise? When I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That's the mission component that we're on. So today, the, the big thought for us, the mission to live in peace with one another puts us in touch with our own weak attempts at securing peace for ourselves. So we look to the experience of the peace that Jesus gives and we see it in our relationships with one another. So let's consider first our own personal pursuits of peace. Our, our pursuit of peace is often held as a right in our lives. Now, as we celebrated uh, Independence Day this past week, I'm grateful that we, we had framers and thinkers uh, of the, the Declaration of Independence as well as the Constitution for our country. It is, it's still an experiment. It's only 243 years old, but it's still an experiment because you go to other places and like, oh, that's been there for a thousand years. Not so much here. It's still very young comparatively to the earth and the people that, and, and cultures and empires that have been on the earth. But when, when we read and we hold as a right that the, we hold these as inalienable rights endowed by our creator, one of those is what? The pursuit of happiness? That's a pursuit of peace. I, I, want, I want people to leave me alone and let me pursue life as I want. But when this shows up in our own lives, we create places and patterns of life that, that will achieve peace for us. So we carve out me time. I just need some me time. I need some downtime. I need something that I'm doing by myself, no, whether that's shopping or just binge watching an episode of something. I just need some me time. Me time is I want peace right now in my life and I want people away from me. I want my tranquility base. Or we build man caves to settle our restlessness. I just need to get away from everybody else. At the core, we seek to remove stress from our lives really by removing the people that we're closest to, that are demanding the most. The sea of tranquility on the moon didn't have anyone on it. No stress, no difficulty, no demands. And we, we don't like when our peace is disturbed. You know, we get to call the law enforcement agencies when, when uh, there is disturbance of the peace that we're around. Last night as I was working on this, this is just God's sense of humor with me, church. Right outside my office there as I'm thinking through things, and I, I was delaying putting, going to this because there was a car at, in the parking lot, not 20 feet away from my window, with the car alarm going off about every 30 seconds. 
It would stop. It would go on for about 20 seconds and wait 30 seconds and then go on for 20 seconds. But I had to put my, my music up really loud, just try to drown it out. And I'm talking about, I'm walking around here going, all right, can I call somebody about that? If I had the knowledge, I would like clip a wire or something because that is disturbing my peace right now. Of course, then I sit down and go, God, you're doing this on purpose. You know, and after I write that, I write my experience right here in my notes. After I wrote it, went off, never came back on. Like in my mind, I'm try- if I would talk to the person, we- look, this is what we do. In our pursuit of peace, we have this weird bargain and negotiating for peace. We try to think, how can, I, how can I achieve peace in that moment, in this moment? So we've got kids around, young kids, we're pleading with them. That's usually how the bargain sounds, we're pleading. Just go over there and play. Can I put a movie on for you? That'll be great. Just give me some time that I don't have to think about anything and you're not asking for something to drink. It's what I need right now. We bargain. We, we plead for that peace. We look for all these solutions that are going to come and bring the peace that we want. And when our right, when we think we have a right to peace and quiet and it's infringed upon, we try to remedy the situation immediately and that shows up looking for a temporal tentative peace rather than the lasting peace that our soul really longs for. You know, the peace I wanted last night was a temporal peace so I could think without distraction. I would have been fine if, if car would have just waited until I was finished and then started back up. And this is typically how we seek peace in our lives. We look for these segments of peace. We look for these segments of time off and where our brain can veg. But is really that going to bring about the lasting peace that we desire? Our bargains and negotiations show up in our homes. We barter with our children to get them to leave us alone. We'll even threaten to get peace. If you don't be quiet, I will. Or else, you know, even in our homes, we'll neglect the one another's that we have gone through just to have some peace in our homes. So in marriages, that looks like not confessing sin to one another, not admonishing one another, not affirming one another. We will leave those alone just to try to have some type of peace. But you know what? That solution never lasts because we're not really dealing with the, the issue. We think that avoiding conflict is gaining us peace, but it's only delaying any solution that God would want to bring to heal a situation and bring lasting peace. We bargain and negotiate in the workplace, avoiding difficult people, avoiding difficult conversations. We bargain and negotiate with others in the church by staying to ourselves. That's what we say. I'm I'm just just a person. I just keep to myself. We don't avail ourselves of the ministry of the body of Christ, that it's to be for us and we're to be for the body. We ultimately bargain with God to get peace. We think that peace is the reward he should give us for our performance. God, I have lived for you this long. I I read my Bible. I go to church. Why is life so stressful? Why Why are there so many demands placed upon me and I never feel like I can gain up on anything? But we look for lasting peace. Temporal peace will not bring about the peace we long for. We want a lasting peace, and that's exactly what Jesus said he would give to his disciples. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. That's the only thing that Jesus says he leaves of himself to us. It's his peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives 
do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, there are two promises in that verse. One is that peace that Jesus gives is not the type of peace that the world gives. Now, the, the world gives a, 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 a temporal peace, usually based on conditions. If you do this, then we'll be okay and we'll have peace in our relationship. Or if you do this, you'll achieve peace as the condition. Jesus says, the peace that I give is not conditional based on your performance. The second promise is that Jesus gives his peace. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a peace like mine. He doesn't, give you a, a, he doesn't give us a peace that's of lesser value than what he experienced. He experienced peace with God. Why? Because of his sonship. So the peace that he leaves us is a peace that's identified with our identity in Christ based on our faith in his finished work and his resurrection life. We trust him. We are now sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Thereby, look, Jesus lived out a peace because of his sonship, he knew that his relationship with the Father was never going to suffer because of his performance. And that's what fueled his obedience. I can obey freely when I know if I mess up, God's still going to love me. And that's why we need to have our peace connected to God, and that's what Jesus wants to give. So let's investigate Jesus' peace a little more. Jesus' peace is felt from the inside first, then out. We usually seek an external peace to calm us inwardly. We feel the restlessness inside of us. We want a peace from outside to come. And so usually that's, that's quiet or leave me alone. I want that to affect what's inside. Jesus gives the opposite. An external peace inwardly, he gives it to us that carries us in the present. We experience his peace by faith in his finished work, resurrection life. But ultimately, the peace that we have is because our hearts are settled. We have peace with God. Where we were once rebellious and proud and God-haters, God has won our hearts by, by loving us down to the core of who we are. We surrender to Him. We trust Him for salvation. And then God says to us, you don't stand at the face of my fierce destruction anymore. You're not going to be punished. I've already, I've put your punishment on my son. Oh, that's freeing as well, isn't it? That gives us peace with God. That we're able to walk out. We're able to receive that sonship with the abiding love of God and the subsequent peace. And this peace is what carries us in the present. This is different than seeking temporary solutions. Over and over and over again, we're always going to run exhausted trying to figure out temporary solutions. We need the peace that comes from God and settles our hearts. Augustine wrote, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We want satisfaction. We want that peace to know God. I have peace with God. And when I have peace with God, that means I have peace with others. When our hearts find their rest, when they find their peace in God, through Christ, we're freed from running down the temporal streets, looking for significance and security and control and comfort, trying to find peace in what we manufacture rather than discover it by faith. When we have peace with God, we experience that peace through our surrender to Him. His peace is a gift that we receive, not something that we earn. It's not payment for what we have performed. He gives His peace as a gift. 
and the hands that reach to receive it are extended in surrender. I'm surrendered like a child wanting to be held. God, I'm defenseless right now with my hands up because I want to receive the peace that you have, not settle for a manufactured, negotiated peace. We give up control of our temporal quests and receive that eternal peace. And that's when we feel the settling of our souls. I love these two scriptures that are in your notes. have just, they've settled my heart when it comes to that restlessness. Because it directs me back toward the Lord. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Here's the key. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I need that reminder. When frenzy and stress and demands and difficulties are high, I need the presence of mind to think, God, you quiet my restlessness. You calm my heart. How? Through your love. I want to experience your love right now. And that's why Jesus says, abide in me, and you'll abide in the Father's love. And we have peace when we know we're in the middle of his love. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Well, isn't that a great one? We, we, we have, see it on plaques and memorabilia and stuff. And don't let fancy fonts rob the impact of what the psalmist is saying. Be still. The original language is cease striving. Striving for what? Striving for my own attempts to bring peace into my life. I need to stop. Be still. No. It's God. Knowing and then experience of God. And look, this is how he's God. And this should comfort our souls. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted. That should be a comforting to us. But God, that doesn't, how does that, how does that like, bring me peace right now? Because God's saying this, I win. The peace and comfort you have is I win. You know like when you ever watch a, pre, a game that you have recorded, it's over, and you try not to have people let you know what's happening, but then somebody comes in and like, oh, yeah, well, we win. Your, your viewing experience is completely different at that moment, right? No matter what, how far behind the team gets, no matter what uh, idiotic play just happened, no matter what interception was thrown, in your mind you know, uh, we win. So we don't get all amped up, like, oh, no, what's going to happen God is saying, I win. I win. And you know what? That calms our hearts. So no matter what demand, stress, or difficulty we're walking through, God wins. And his promise is to be with us in the midst of it, to show us Jesus. Not to give us relief and the, and the, the temporal peace that usually that's what we're praying for. God, just remove this from me so I can feel better about life. God says, no, I want to be with you. So you experience my love and my peace. So what does this mean for one another? We want to live in peace with one another. Going back to 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. There's an agreement and a peace that are hand in hand, so the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't think that the Apostle Paul is saying, agree in every detail of life. Because we know we don't really hard to find. It's a few people, like two or three, that we agree on every detail of life. Husbands and wives don't agree on every detail. 
And you can be married 35 years and you still don't agree on every detail. You, you find that in raising kids. Look, I think we should do this. Well, I think we should do this. I think this is an appropriate uh, disciplinary action or consequence. And the, the other spouse is saying, well, I don't think so. I think that's a little too harsh. We can't. We're not going to agree on everything. We agree on what's primary. We agree on what's primary. We often get bent out of shape over secondary matters that come in and divide us from others and want to separate. We spend time arguing and learning arguments over secondary issues that disrupt peace within the body of Christ. We need to learn how to converse about issues, but hold to the foundations of the faith. And that's what we have. So look, I've got some, some examples, and I'm going I'm to step on some toes on purpose. And I'm not going to reveal what I think about these things, just so you can be in peace. You can practice being at peace with me. Primary issues, and I'm going to give the secondary. Primary issue, salvation in Jesus Christ alone. That's what we need to agree on. Primary issue, Jesus. And that's the primary issue of all things. Primary issue, creation. God created everything. Secondary, did God do it in a literal six days? Or did he do, are those analogies for longer periods of time that were in God's created acts? Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, Jeff. What are you saying? I'm saying there's different views within the body of Christ of people. People that I quote, that I respect highly, within one message, I will quote two people that disagree on the creation day explanation and interpretation. The second coming of Jesus is the primary issue. How it comes about with when the tribulation happens and what our view on the millennial reign of Christ is, is a secondary issue. We agree Jesus is coming back. Whether we agree on when is secondary. We agree he's coming back. But listen, if, we are, if we're devoting time to how God is getting ready to judge America because of our, sinless, or our sinfulness, that's a secondary issue. If we are only looking to, I, I need to be around people that see this and agree with this exactly like I do, there's going to be division because we'll find people that don't see it the same way. Same thing. In the very same pa uh, uh, sermon, I may quote two people, that have very different opinions on the second coming of Jesus and when the rapture happens and when the tribulation occurs. Some will say, uh, some are, are traditional pre-trib, pre-millennialist uh, pre view. Some would be amillennialist. Now, is that, those aren't the things that we should be arguing about. We can discuss them. But it's in those moments that is the litmus test for for, all right, do we agree on Jesus? Do we agree that Jesus is coming back? Okay, let's live in peace. Now, living in peace is not, I'm just going to let you uh, try to get a clue. So I'm not going to talk about this anymore because you just need to get a clue. No, we need to live in peace with one another. Noah's Ark and the flood. Was it a global flood? Was it a local flood? But we know that Noah's Ark is a fact. It happened. But is it local? Is it, is it global? Our commitment to the church, our submission to biblical authority, that's a non-negotiable. It's a primary issue. 
which type of church we may be in. Secondary, that's why I love what we get to participate with Awaken because there's several different congregations that we're coming together with. And it's right and good for us to do that because we're all agreeing that Jesus and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Because we'll have, we're going to be uh, Baptists out there, we're going to be Presbyterians out there, there's going to be Methodists out there, and it's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely great. I, I, in the same message, I will quote two different theologians that have two very different understandings of baptism. Whether it's right and, and orderly and biblical to baptize infants, or right and orderly to baptize those who have confessed with their own mouths faith in Christ. Now, we're not talking about, that would be Presbyterian and Pado baptist uh, baptism and credo-baptism, creed, you speak faith. That's not baptismal gen- regeneration, which a lot of us grew up uh, within traditional systems where it was baptismal regeneration. When you got baptized, it was the removal of original sin. That's not what we're talking about, because that's not, that's not salvation in Jesus alone. Salvation in Jesus alone is I repent of my sins and I trust Christ for salvation. Nobody did it before me, uh, for me when I didn't know, and it was the baptism was not the removal. The baptism is the evidence of what's happened on the inside. I just want to be clear with that. All right, living in peace doesn't mean we agree on every detail of the faith. It does mean that we love one another beyond our differences. Our loyalties need to be with not with our perspective. Let's hear that. Our loyalties need to be with people, not with perspective. Because Jesus says something about uh, there's a danger in putting a stumbling block in somebody else in, the, in their, their walk of faith. In Mark 9, the passage 42 to 50, it's things that are temptations to sin. Because if something causes you to sin, get rid of it. And then at the very in verse 50, he says, look, have salt in yourselves, you want to you tell people about the good news. You want to tell people about salvation in Christ alone. And he says, be at peace with one another. Why? What he's saying is, in that context, is don't put up stumbling blocks in front of somebody else. Don't take a secondary issue, a conviction and a passion that you have, that before God, you are holding in a, a fruitful way in your own life. It's not something that is a legalistic standard that you have. You're simply saying, look, this is how I believe God wants me to live. Jesus says, when you have your convictions and you do things based on conscience, make sure that you're not putting those in front of other people that they become stumbling blocks. And here's where they become a stumbling block. When we, have, uh, when we place our expectation of what our conviction is, when we place that expectation on somebody else and expect them to walk it out too. If we, if we are communicating with somebody else in the church and they see something differently than we do, they should not be left feeling that they're less spiritual because they don't see it like we do. And this is subtle because it's pride and it creeps in all the time. Can I give you some examples? Republicanism. We are not so devoted to a political party that we don't see people and understand that there's a diversity in how we seek government. I'm thankful for this country, but our allegiance is to Christ, and our allegiance is to people that God has saved and brought us together. So if somebody's interacting with you and they are more aware of your political persuasion, rather than Jesus, something's wrong. 
That's a stumbling block. Well, do I have to become a Republican when I get saved? That's what a lot of people think. And here in the South, it's still okay. Everybody has kind of a basic understanding of God, but you get into city centers, even within the South, even across the lake, there's something very different occurring, and we have to be able to understand how to capture, how God's going to use us to capture people's hearts. It's not going to be through a moral majority. People don't hear that anymore. They don't see that anymore. Eating, lifestyles and habits when it comes to eating. It is not less spiritual to eat meat. There's like this wave of vegetarianism and veganism, I think just, just eking its way through the church, and this is how. You know, Adam and Eve only had vegetables to eat. And they were the healthiest. So we should go back to that. Now, I say that with sarcasm because I don't understand how that is because that's, that was before sin. And then afterwards, they got to eat fish. They got to eat other animals. God's people got to do that. But he also says, play and eat. Peter. There was a bigger caption going on. And then, I'm a meditarian. I am. I enjoy it. But you know what? I don't think we're going to have meat in heaven. Because something has to die in order to get the meat. I don't think we have it. So I think I'm praying, you know, I'm open about this. Bacon fruit, venison fruit, hamburger fruit. Oh, yeah. I'm all about it. But listen, <clears throat> we have these weird, uh, uh, and some people need dietary restrictions on them because of ailments and stuff. It, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it's inappropriate to expect because I need those dietary restrictions that everybody else should do that as well. And we need to, we just need to have an understanding. That's a secondary issue, and I'm not going to put that in front of somebody else to, to be a possible stumbling block. Schooling for our children. If you're a homeschooler and interacting with somebody else leaves them with the feeling that they're less spiritual for sending their kids to school, something's wrong. There's not love coming from you. Or if you send your kids to school and your interaction with people who homeschool is, oh, they're weird, and they just don't know it yet, that would be wrong. Because that's an expectation, too. Your kids aren't going to be well-adjusted. They're going to be... We've done both. We've, like, homeschooled halfway, put our kids in school halfway. We just ask God, what do you want for our kids? How do you want this to be? We're not holding to it as, no, 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 no. There's an expectation. This is how you do it. We can't do that. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I put this in my notes after I pointed out yours. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's saying, I do the hard work to make sure that I'm that I'm not getting in the way of the gospel clarity that should be coming through my life. We don't want our behavior, our conviction on secondary matters to cloud the clarity of the gospel as to be a bright, shining sun in our lives. Now, these are the contexts within these primary, secondary issues. These are the contexts where our peace with Jesus and peace with God should show up in our relationships with one another. So when we, we hold our convictions and our, we hold them lightly because we want people to be more aware of Jesus than what we're particularly walking out 
and a perspective of our lives. We're to love one another with a peace that, that's not connected to performance. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm only going to relate to you based on how much we agree with one another. That's conditional. That's not the peace that God gives, and it's not the peace that he calls us to walk out in our relationships with one another. We want to lean into our relationships rather than avoiding them. Jesus' peace leads us in relationships that are stressful and difficult and demanding because we are stressful to God. We are difficult to God, and we're demanding of God. So the peace that he calls us to live out with one another is because he wants us to recognize the peace that we have with him. when We are that person that we seek to avoid, and God does not avoid us. He lives in peace. So that brings us to our celebration of communion. That brings us to the reminder that all that we have in Christ, the peace that we have has been achieved by him, and this is a, it's an example of our oneness with one another. It's an example of our peace. We have peace with God, so we have peace with one another. So this is what we'll do if you uh, haven't been here for our celebration of communion. Uh, we will just come and just by the rows, come up to the, the front, take the elements, and take those back to your seats, and then I'll lead us in, uh, in our, our thoughtfulness as we go through those.